You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is to not only share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversations about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and our community. During the summer of 2022, we are in a series called The Songs of Summer, a study in the Psalms. You can find more information about our church at fumc.org. Thanks for listening. So this summer we are going through uh, selections from the book of Psalms with the sermon series titled The Songs of Summer. Uh, This past Sunday you opened up the series reading Psalms 1, and within the sermon you actually mentioned a time in which you had pastoral training in South Sudan. I'm curious as to how did you end up in the South Sudan, but also what was the takeaway you got from your training there? Yeah, so before before I entered into pastoral ministry, my family and I, we were missionaries with World Gospel Mission. We were serving in Uganda, and uh, during our first term, we were way up in the northwest corner of Uganda, right near the border with South Sudan, the border with the Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, you know, we had already started doing some ministry up in South Sudan. We were hoping that one day we'd be able to open up ministry in Congo as well. And so we ended up working with a group of, of churches uh, up in South Sudan, and they invited us to come and do some training. We we were working with a group of churches up in South Sudan. They invited us to come and do some training. We ended up flying up there, uh, landing on this little dirt runway and driving out to where the training was going to take place. And uh, then we spent a few days there. And I, I've talked about that training a couple times in, in sermons. It's one of those things that, you know, when you get into a context like that, things kind of stick in your mind a little bit more clearly. Um but I think one of my biggest takeaways from that time in South Sudan was that our Christian faith isn't so simple as we want it to be. And so often we, especially when you're like the teacher or the preacher or whatever, you want to kind of present everything as all wrapped up in a nice little box with a nice little bow on top and it all makes sense and it's all clean and pretty and the reality is, life's just not that clear cut, and it's not that simple. And so it was on that training where one of the pastors came to me and one of the other missionaries who was, who was there with me, and he, he came and he sat down and he said, from reading in the New Testament, it says a pastor's supposed to be a man of one wife, and he said, but my brother died. And the way our tribe handles it is that then the brother marries the wife, if your brother dies, um, to take care of her, to provide for her and her children and all those things. So what do I do? And in that moment, I was really glad that I was the newer missionary, not the older missionary. And I could kind of pass the buck and and let the other guy answer the question. Um, and so it's stuff like that that here in America we we don't necessarily wrestle with, we don't have to think about. But when the gospel's pushing into new areas, there are things that it has to 
address. And in every culture, there are things that it has to address. Even here Absolutely. in America, you know, we, we, we tend to think of our country as a Christian country, but there's a lot of things that have come in and, and subverted the gospel message. There are a lot of things that have come in and been held alongside of the Christian message that aren't actually part of the gospel. They're more a part of our American heritage, and and those things have to be addressed in light of the gospel, and we have to be willing to deal with those things, even when it's uncomfortable and it makes things seem a little messier. So that was one of the big takeaways that I had from that trip to South Sudan. Well, thank you for sharing that experience uh, with us. In regards to our sermon series, it had me thinking about how many psalms you have to choose from for this summer series, and I'm excited to see which ones... Which is how many, Jeremy? 119? No. <laughs> 151. 150. 150! Shoot! Cut that! Cut it! Cut it! <laughs> um, I've been curious, as you prepare for the series that we're calling the Songs of Summer, since you have 150 psalms to pick from... That's a lot of source material to crank out in just a couple of months. Um, do you have a favorite verse from the Psalms? I do, and and fair warning, we're not going to preach through all 150 Psalms. Um, I think we're, we picked like seven or eight of them that we're going to okay. do in this summer. Um, but we are reading all of them in the reading plan, so yes. I encourage people to, to jump on that. Uh, even if you haven't started from the get-go, just kind of. Pick up from where we are. And, and where can they reading. find that? You can find that on the uh, the church website at fumccollingswood.org. It's right on the main page. Um, or it's also been in the emails that we send out. And if you don't get those, you can sign up for the emails on the website as well. But my favorite psalm, I don't know if it's my favorite psalm, but my favorite verse from the psalms is Psalm 73, verse 26. And it says, My strength and my heart may fail... But God remains the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm. And uh, there, there's a story that goes along with why that's one of my favorites. Um, but you're going to have to wait for that story because um, it's probably going to make it into the sermon that I preach on Psalm 73. Which week is that? That will be uh, sometime in August. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh my favorite psalm verse, thanks for asking, Scott, would be uh, Psalm 34, 8. Uh, taste and see that God is good, or taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, at first, it started off as a joke because I love food of all kinds. Um, That's no joke. Yeah, very much a foodie. And so that was always my go-to verse just because of how much I love food. But the more I dwelt on it, it really impacted me of, you know, just the fact that we have taste buds that allow us to experience all of these different things and how glorious that is that we don't need that. I mean, we're at a point in society where it's not to protect us from poisonous berries or to know what things not to eat, but to have that level of enjoyment. And it seems nowadays unnecessary for survival. Um that God has provided us with that and we get to experience that on a daily basis and share those experiences with family and friends and, and all of those things. And so I've, I've really 
more seriously enjoyed Psalms 34, 8. Isn't it crazy, though, to think about that reality that that God doesn't just want to nourish our bodies, but he wants us to enjoy it. Like, all the different flavors of all the different cultures, like, that's part of his grand design for things. It wasn't just an accident. Like, that's one of the ways he blesses us, is that food is enjoyable. It's not just a necessary evil. So, what would you say is your favorite kind of food, Jeremy? Don't do me like that. (laughs) Not on the spot. Come on. Are we talking like a dish or like a type of cuisine? Ooh. I was thinking a dish, but if you want to go cuisine, you could go there. So, dish would be uh, Rebecca, my wife. Uh, Her homemade fettuccine Alfredo. Like, when we go all out, it's homemade pasta that we make. And she makes the sauce from scratch and, like... Yeah, we do the works with that one, and so I will easily eat two pounds of that dish. So here's my next question. Yeah. Why have I never had this fettuccine Alfredo? Because you have too many mouths to feed in your family, and I can't make that much pasta. Fair enough. <laughs> but it's a very, very special occasion. There's, It's a multiple-hour uh, undertaking. So maybe, it, so maybe one day I'll be special enough. That I was thinking maybe one day you'll be special enough. Or I was thinking the next time the church has a potluck Ooh. that we could have that come out. Uh, All right. You heard it here first folks and make a showing. I don't know if we can do the handmade pasta for that many people, but we can definitely put, put together the, uh, the sauce. Um, I was curious as you prepped for this past week's sermon on Psalm one, if, you learned anything while preparing for it. I did. Um, I always learn new things uh, about scripture passages and whatnot when when I take the time to study to present them and to preach them. Um, and it's amazing to me. That's one of the things I love about scripture is you can keep going back even to familiar and uh, verses you've read, you know, tens of times, hundreds of times. And there's still new stuff there. There's still stuff that God shows you and reveals to you through that. Um, The thing that stuck out to me this time that didn't really fit into what I was talking about in the sermon was that I was looking at the word meditate in there. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, we often think when we hear the word meditate, we think of like a Buddhist monk who... Om, sitting there trying to empty himself of, of whatever, um, but the ver- the word there, the Hebrew word, actually means to growl or to mutter, hmm. and so it it kind of clicked for me. Like it's not necessarily just what are what's what am I thinking about all the time? Because you know it says he meditates on the law of the Lord. But it's not just a, a mental exercise. It's like, no, this is actually on the righteous person's lips, on his tongue, all the time. These are the things that he's saying to himself when he's going through his day and doing work, or she's, you know, taking care of whatever. And these are the things that's on the righteous person's mouth and their tongue and their lips, and. It kind of was one of those things where God just kind of said to me, 
what are the things you mutter about? Oh, and it was convicting. It was convicting because, you know, oftentimes when I'm muttering or mumbling under my breath, it's because I'm frustrated about something or I'm annoyed about something. It's not God's word. That's, you know, it's, it's complaints, it's bad attitudes. And I was just like, oh, for the righteous person, they're, they're muttering constantly the word of God, the law of the Lord, his instructions to us, his directions for us. It sounds like when I volunteer with the children's ministry and I mutter under my breath, love is patient, love is patient. Exactly. Patient. Exactly. And kind. <laughs> I'm, I'm just working on the patient all part. Right, all right. And as I'm about to enter into fatherhood, I reflect on that more and more of just love is patient, love is patient, love is patient. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So any any parents out there that have tips on uh, on growing in their patience, by all means. Don't pray for it. Because <laughs> then I'll have another God, kid. God will give you all kinds of all kinds of experiences to, to test and grow that patient. So, Scott, we have so many songs outside of the Psalms uh, that are all incorporated within the faith from hymns to now I just heard recently that there's Christian screamo music. And so we have a lot in between that as well. And I'm curious, what's your history with hymns? Did you grow up with them regularly in your church, in your home? What did that look like for you? Yeah, the the church I grew up going to, uh, we sang hymns every week. It wasn't until I was maybe in like middle school, high school that we started to do more um, contemporary worship songs. We did that. We had a separate service for that, uh, kind of like we have two services here during the school year. Um, so we definitely grew up singing hymns, and um, I love them. I love uh, I think that the hymns have so much richness and depth to them, and not just that, but they've stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still singing the things that were written by Isaac Watts and, and Charles Wesley back in the 18th century um, because the stuff that they say was worth saying. It was worth still saying. And so, yeah, I definitely have a a soft spot in my heart for hymns and love to sing those. Do you have a favorite that comes to mind? Uh, Yeah, my favorite hymn is And Can It Be, good Charles Wesley hymn. And what I love about it is it just kind of walks right through the gospel message. It talks about, um, you know, Christ choosing, uh, as as Athanasius said, for us and for our salvation to come mm-hmm. down from heaven, to be made a man. Um, and that out of his grace and his amazing love, he was willing to leave that aside for a time mm-hmm. so that he could come and he could reconcile us. And then and it just walks Right on through, like even how we, um, before Christ comes to us, we were dead, we were locked up, we were prisoners in our sin and our darkness um, till Christ shines his light on us and and redeems us and, and calls us his own. And so, uh, and can it be, would be one of my favorites. I used to sing it to the boys when I was rocking them to sleep at night so they'd start getting that into their heads and their hearts even before they could say dad back. So that's sweet. 
What about you, Jeremy? Uh, is there a certain hymn that has always been especially meaningful to you? Yeah, we there's there's been a handful that have heavily impacted me. Uh, I grew up surrounded by hymns all the time in church, but also uh, my home church of Pittman United Methodist uh, Church had a shut-in ministry where we would go and sing hymns to shut-ins. And so I knew the green hymnal like the back of my hand at a very, very young age because I was in attendance since I was basically born. And so my my favorite section of the green hymnal, they had a solid lineup between around like 196 and 200 where you would get Trust and Obey, Dwelling in Beulah Land, Amazing Grace, a lot of the classics. And uh, as a Pittmanite at heart in the garden is kind of the mandatory. I feel like I would get in trouble if I didn't say in the garden was my favorite. Um, but it has such a rich history. Um, and the for those who don't know, the uh, person who wrote in the garden is from Pittman, New Jersey. Can I blow your mind for a little bit, minute? Go for it. The author of In the Garden used to be the Sunday school superintendent right here at First United Methodist of Collingswood. What? Yeah. Did he used to drive up here, or did he live here no, at some I think point? He lived here at some point, and he was part of this church and and led the Sunday school ministry. <laughs> he used to live on the lake, like a block away from where uh, my grandparents lived and my friend Mildred Bell uh who lived to be 108 years old she had memories of him singing songs playing his guitar on his porch hmm. and she was allowed to go and like sit on the steps and listen to him um but that's nothing compared to you guys having him in attendance at Kongswood UMC I'm learning more and more about the rich history and I found that out when we sang it in the service one week, and I went up and said, did you know he, he wrote that right in Pittman, New Jersey? And they said, well, he used to come right here. <laughs> so don't feel too bad. I didn't know till I got here. Oh, man. I'm now at a time where I've hopefully learned to appreciate all songs, whether they're meant for praise and worship or if they're just um, any genre song but with a Christian message in it. And so I'm very... Glad to have people like yourself, like my church family, and like the youth to introduce me to new songs, even hymns I, I never knew. Because even when we were doing our ministry, people would request songs that nobody in our group knew and we had to learn. Uh -huh. And so um, there's so much rich church history as well uh, built into those hymns. And so it's always lovely to learn about those um, as we progress and remember where we come from, our history, and also see how it all comes together because we're all just striving to glorify God and make a joyful noise. Well, thanks for listening in as we have this conversation together. We look forward to having this conversation about the sermon and the things that are going on in our hearts and our minds uh, it, over the weeks to come. And we'd love for you to be part of that conversation as well. So as you come up with questions, as there are things that stick out to you from uh, the sermons or as you're reading through the Psalms on your own this summer, uh, we'd love to hear from you about those so we can answer those questions and, and incorporate your voice into these conversations as well.